0: Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the book of first Peter and we're going to see how God is calling us. And speaking of you and me, and that's listen, that's not just a select few of us in this room. All right. God is called us or calling us, all of us. All right. As followers to be different from this world. Um. To be different, you know, there's a a scripture in Thessalonians, and I've I've mentioned this many times. I think it's around four and six, three and six, somewhere in that area. But it says something to the nature of uh, the will of God for our lives is to be holy. Well, duh. (laughs) You know, that's not, obviously, that's what God wants me to be. He wants me to be holy. But the definition in that passage of holy really just means simply this, to be different. To be different, not different as Uh, There's differences within the world, but for us to be different than the world, for there to be a distinct difference between the church and the world, for there to be a distinct difference between you as a Christ follower and the society that we live in. You know, before we get into this whole sermon series or or looking at 1 Peter, I want you to understand who wrote it, right? The name kind of gives it away, and that's, you know, Peter, (laughs) You know, uh, I don't know how else to say that one, but I think he kind of gets a bad rap in a lot of ways. When people think of him, typically they think of him as just what? Uh, he's just a fisherman. Um, most commonly, you know, he's thought of as a hothead or um, sometimes he's even thought as being very arrogant. Um, short fused. Do I have any people who are short fused, right? You're not going to admit it, but you are. Okay. All right. I'll admit it. I'll help you out there. All right. We can all be Short fuse at times, we can all be different. We can all, um, you know, we we can all at different aspects and different seasons of our lives, kind of take on a bad rap or a bad reputation. But this guy was more than that. You think about him, you think of of several different things. One, uh, he was a businessman. And and in fact, he was a very successful businessman. Um, He was a tremendous leader. He was very, (laughs) I don't think anyone can argue against this one. He was extremely passionate. When he believed in something, he sold into it. He was all in. Nothing could distract him from it. Um, he was bold, extremely bold. You know, um, he was make. He had to make up with all of this to be what I would call a successful entrepreneur. In fact, when we read the writings in First Peter, he deals with incredibly weighty and heavy theological issues, and we're going to get into that in this. Uh, sermon series that we're going to get into, but we're going to really get into a heavy one here this morning. I mean, he talks about things like this, like foreknowledge. Uh, He talks about divine election. He talks about sanctification. He talks about obedience. He talks about the blood of Christ. He talks about the Trinity, and he talks about revelation. But there's two big things that emerge that we're going to see over and over and over again as that is this. He talks about hope that each one of us can have and can expect to have as a Christ follower in Jesus. I need hope. Now understanding that hope is a motivator. We looked at that in our last sermon series. Hope will get you involved or get you excited about something, but hope doesn't get you to the destination, does it? No, hope helps to equip you. Hope gets you motivated to look into it deeper. But sometimes we have to, what, step out, step forward and get involved. So he talks about hope that we have in Christ. And then he tells us that we're called to be different from this world. So to kind of give you a little bit more context about what we're going to read and what we're going to get into, um, we need to really grasp the meaning of what God wants us to live and to do through this book. Understand this, 1 Peter was written between the year 60 and 65 A.D., We're not exactly sure, but it was during the reign of a very evil leader, a very corrupt man known as Nero. In fact, this guy had killed his mother. He killed his first wife, most likely killed his second wife. You thought she would have learned from the first one. I'm just saying, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a bad joke. That was a bad joke. The guy was so twisted that, listen, history believes that he actually burned the city of Rome. We do know that around July of 64 AD, history tells us that Rome for six days burned and it was uncontrollable and they couldn't put it out. But on the sixth day they were able to extinguish it and then it reignited and it burned again for another three full days. And they believe, or the rumor or history, many believe that Nero, uh, he wanted to rebuild Rome and he wanted to do different things with it and his leadership with him would not allow him to do it. So they believed that he set it on fire again and it burned for three more days so he could eventually get his way. You know, that didn't go well evidently when people started to blame him for the burning of Rome. So as you look through the word, you understand and, and you look through history, he decided to do this. He decided to blame a little group of people who were very passionate Already um, hated people known as what we would call or they called back then Christ ones or what is called today Christians or Jesus's followers. He said they did it and and that, you know, this already persecuted group was now being persecuted even more brutally in this season in which Peter was writing this letter to give you an idea of how messed up Nero was, he actually would do this. He would put animal skins or dead animal skins on the Christians. So much so that like a dead animal that he put the skin on them, locked them and then in a cage, unleashing them with wild dogs so that they could maul and destroy the Christians. And he did all of this so he could be entertained as he sat back and he sipped on wine for the entertainment. He would then take Christians and you have to understand that they were real people who loved their families just like you and I. And, but he would dip them in hot wax. He would then put them on a tree, tying them with their hands to the tree, lighting them on fire, burn the trees and the people like human candles to light the night skies as he then threw festivals around them. This is pretty messed up if you ask me. Then the second group that we're going to take a look at this morning is a group of people who would go through trials, right? Has anybody ever been through a trial? You ever been through a circumstance? You ever been through something that really just caused a lot of disheartening and a lot of hurt and turmoil in your life? I think we've all been there. We've we've all been those, you know, who, who have questions that are unanswered, who have gone through trials with what enduring difficult, maybe a financial trial, or maybe something as a loss of a job or a health issue, maybe tension in a an important relationship, maybe children who are moving in a direction that you don't want, maybe a trial in, in the emotion or a trial in an addiction. I believe that if you fall into any one of these categories, that this sermon series or this message will relate specifically to you. Life can be difficult and no matter where or what you're going through, we do wanna hear from God in a way that would speak to us in our moments of hurting, in our moments of displeasure, in our moments of trial. First Peter chapter one, verse one says this. This is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as Foreigners. Everybody say that. Foreigners. Foreigners were in the province of Ponus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. The Greek word that's translated as a foreigner is translated in many ways, depending on the Bible or the translation that you're reading. But, and that is printed in your, in your bulletin there. I, I left that for you. But the word foreigner is, is actually uh, spoken of as exiled or a sojourner. An alien or a stranger. Foreigner, so to speak. So in other words, Peter is saying you need to understand something. That you are merely here, but you don't belong here. Understand what the context of what we just read or what I kind of threw out to you as the history. And the basis of why Peter wrote this letter. Was simply to remind them, listen, what you're going through. The trials, the temptations, the struggles, the difficulties, what you're going through. You don't belong here. You are nothing but a sojourner. You're a foreigner. You're an alien to this world. We understand that because where do we belong? We're not citizens of here, but we are citizens where? Of the kingdom of heaven. I love it when you think of it this way. My existence here on this earth is only but what? A vapor. A vapor compared to my eternal existence. But the scripture... understanding that we are sojourners and if we're a follower that we need to understand that this is not our home because we're followers of Christ. We're just what? Passing through. You are what? You are an alien. This is only temporal. This is not the end of your existence. Your existence as a Christ follower is more joyful Your existence as a Christ follower should build with inside of you an anticipation, a great anticipation. You know, I walked in here this morning into the church. Some of you might've saw it on Facebook. I added a, uh, uh, I checked in the church. Okay. And I said, you know, the atmosphere is full of expectation. I'm expecting God to move when I came through these doors this morning. The moment I woke up, I expected God to move. As I've been preparing for this message, I've been expecting God to move. And so as I think about that for a moment of, of an atmosphere of expectation, it causes me to think to myself, do I have an atmosphere of expectation of what my life will be after I am done here on this earth? And that expectation in my mind, and I know this is this that I will be with Jesus Christ. And regardless of the temporal struggles and the temporal trials that I might face here, I know that only for a vapor, so to speak, is my existence here. But my eternal existence will be with the Father. So if this world is not our home, therefore we will be different from what? Or we are charged to be different from what? This world. Um, for some, those of you who are Christ followers, what does that mean? It means you'll have to have different values of those around you, different morals than other people. That means weird to have what? Have a different belief system. You know, that means we're to be a different mom or to be a different dad or to be a different husband or to be a different wife. It means you'll be different in the way what we raise our children, the ways that You relate to people. You will be different. You will be different in how you will deal with someone who is irate or mistreats you or does something wrong against you or against something wrong against your family. You'll be different in the way that you handle your money. You'll be different in the ways that what? You spend your time. You are called to be different. But we live in a society and a world that says no to that. But we are called in our society and our world to match up with what is going on. I need to tell you something. And I want to be very transparent with you. Or not, not even transparent. I guess would be the wrong word. I want to be, very, um, I'm going to be very bold with you. There are some things that must be severed in your life. You must sever off some relationships. You must sever off some activities. You must stop being involved in certain things. You are to be different. The scripture says that you are to be Holy. That is the will of God for your life. I've learned a long time ago, there's nothing like being in the presence of God and fulfilling the purpose and the plan that he has for me. There's no joy that can ever match up to the joy of walking in the will of God. There's nothing else that can bring a, a sense of completeness into your life. None other than knowing that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So we're to be different. Peter in this passage is going to show us that when you're in the middle of a trial, because the world is not your home, you have to have a different kind of faith when you go through something of such incredible difficult. Remember who Peter is writing to. He's writing to a people who are being persecuted. He's writing to a people who are being blamed. He's writing to a people who are being killed and murdered. First Peter 1, 6 through 7, almost would appear shocking when you understand the context of how hurting these people are. But this is what he says, so be truly glad. How do you be truly glad in that moment? How can you be glad when there's so much pain and heartache? If you've ever been there in your own life, you know that's difficult. But Peter says, so be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. See, I don't know what trials and difficulties you might be going through. But this scripture that he was writing to the Christ ones or to the Christians of that time and era, he said, be truly glad in your trial here because there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for what? A little while. In other words, God may not make this temporary trial go away. How many knows that happens a lot, huh? There's a wonderful joy ahead of your life. He goes on to say these trials have a what purpose. He says that these trials will show you that your faith is what that your faith is genuine. Now think about that. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. If there's such thing as genuine faith, then what would be the opposite? Well, that would be a false faith. A False faith is something that bothers me so much as a pastor. I dealt with, uh, you know, as, as a youth pastor, you of a couple things that I'm going to get into right here. Um, I'm very familiar with because there's some of the things that I would get into with my youth as I would present the message of Christ and, and present to them on, on a weekly basis. And now I'm noticing that some of those things that I used to think, oh, I'll never use them in a big setting. I'm starting to pull back and say, hey, you know what? We need to be reminded of some things. The first thing that we're going to look at here, and these are different types of faith that fall into the line of a false faith. And that is this, an inherited faith. This is what some of you might be. This is where we go like this. If we're talking, we might say this. Well, my mom was a Methodist. My dad was a Baptist. We went to church some, you know, Christmas, Easter, right? Other special times. So obviously I'm a Christian. You know, I'm not a Buddhist or a Muslim. So I must be okay because my lineage tells me so. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who really believe that that is a false faith or that is an inherited faith, so to speak. Where we believe that those who were before us are the ones who are going to bring salvation into our life. Let me let me throw something at you here. My personal background, my dad's a pastor. All right. I had to call my mom to get some of this. So bear with me here. My dad's a pastor. Your, 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 your pastor still calls his mom. OK, it's awesome. You know what, you should give your mom a call today. There you go. But my dad was a pastor. My mom was a Bible teacher. My grandfather on my mom's side was a church planner, a pastor, and an evangelist. My great-grandmother on my dad's side was a Methodist pastor. My great-grandfather on my mom's side was a church planner and Bible teacher. I say all of that to tell you this, if I never did on February the 7th, 1997, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and if I never had made that commitment on my own and were to die, I would have went straight to hell. Some of us are literally riding the coattails of people in our past in order for our salvation to exist. We have a False faith. We have an inherited faith. Let me tell you, that is not real. You must have your own personal relationship with this Jesus. Amen. Then here's here's another one. We have a what we call a shallow faith. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 13. I'm sorry, I, I added this after I gave you my notes. Um, but Jesus talked about this story in Matthew 13, 5 through 6. And he says, then He told them many things in a parable saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Or what did he do to plant some seeds? Jump to verse five now. Some fell on rocky places where it did did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was what? Shallow. And so when the sun came up, the plants were what? Scorched and they withered because they had no root. In other words, Jesus is saying when the worries of life And the deceitfulness of wealth and the love for things of this world come along. It chokes out that plant, and it dies because the roots weren't deep at all. That again is where some of you maybe this morning might be. To be real honest, you know, I'm not trying to speak anything into anyone's life, but there are some of you who are sitting here today. You had a wonderful worship experience, but six months down the road, I may not see you in here. Something may have happened in your life that will cause you to have distraction and to move away from from Christ. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to be very bold and blunt with this. And now I'm going to call you this. And that is what? You have a very shallow faith. That is why it's so very important for us to be inside of God's word daily. When we get into God's word, it develops roots within us it sets that foundation more firm into our lives. When we give time of prayer with God, it it allows their what? Again, those roots to get stronger. So that when the storms of life, the, the, the storms that, you know, the wind blows in our lives or the things shake around us or people say this about us and this happened in my family and excuse me, so on and so forth. When these trials and these problems come up, we don't, we don't cave, we don't wither off. We don't die. The next thing is, this a conditional faith. It's those who will say, I believe in God and I love God. I believe in God as long as things go my way. Fortunately, there might be some of you here today just like that. I'm going to give you a story of my little guy, my four-year-old Caden. Not really a story, just going to sum it up plain and simple. He does this to me all the time. After service, please come up and tell me how I can correct this. I would appreciate that. He'll come up to me, Daddy, I love you. And that's just the sweetest thing. But the moment I correct him, he goes, I don't love you no more. <laughs> you know, I just wanna, you know, that's what I wanna do, yeah. <laughs> I don't love you no more. And then and many of you, he said this to many of you, stop, don't look at me, you know. <laughs> we, we see that jokingly and, and we see the humor in it, but can I be very real? Whew. Some of us are in an inherited faith or we're so shallow that we have unconditional conditional faith. And that's how we treat our relationship with God. Something does not quite go our way. Stop. I don't love you no more. When things pan out, maybe I'll come back. I believe, and I'm hoping that that's not the, the case within the congregation this morning, but many of you might be there in your life. So my faith is being tested. How can God use trials in my life? How can God use trials to help strengthen my faith when it comes to Him? First one is this: trials simply reveal your faith. First Peter chapter one verse seven says, "These trials will show that your faith is what genuine." In other words, like this, a faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. In fact was what was Peter. He, he was being tested. He even failed a little bit in his own right. He had to what regroup and make new and become completely transformed. You know, 25 years prior to him writing this, something happened. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32 says this. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked me to sift all the wheat. In other words, Satan wants to test you and your life. Don't ever for a moment think that your spiritual enemy is not scheming to take you away from the things of God. Don't ever think for a moment that he's not plotting how he can attack you. But he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen who? Your brothers. So how did God use this trial to transform Peter? How how was, you know, Peter, the obnoxious one, the Peter, the inconsistent, the the bold, at times vile one? We see a, a scripture in Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 74. I don't know that I gave you this one either, but it says this. Now Peter was sitting. Out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But what did he do? He denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And then he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are the one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. I don't know the man. You read on, he goes and then he sees the eyes of Jesus and literally his heart is ripped out. Mm. In John 21, you see the meaningful encounter between The risen Christ and Peter and Jesus said, do you love me? Oh, you do. Then here's your assignment. Feed my sheep. What happened shortly after that is this Peter, the guy who messed up massively, was given the awesome responsibility on that day of Pentecost to preach to 3,000. And that day instantly, 3,000 were added to the church. He went through a trial. He went through a difficulty. And watch this. He failed. When he went through the trial, when he went through the difficulty, he failed. But the difference is this. He did not have an inherited faith. He did not have a shallow faith. He did not have a conditional faith. But he was firmly planted in that relationship with Christ. And even as firmly planted as he was, he still failed when the tests and trials came on him. But yet God still saw the grace, gave him mercy, and showed love to still use him mightily. James, the brother of Jesus, said this in James 1 and 2. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials of many kind, testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. I love that. Let me ask you this. Don't outwardly respond, but who's going through a trial right now? Think about that. Who's going through a a legitimate, difficult season in your life? You're struggling. You're having a hard time. Let me tell you this. Number two is this. Trials draw you closer to God. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 says, You love God even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him, now you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. What is an inexpressible joy? It's a joy that only can come from heaven itself. A joy for which we do not have the world in our human vocabulary able to adequately describe the heavenly emotion that settles in our souls. When we think of heaven, when we think of what Christ has done. John 16 and 33 says, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. The good news is this, is that Christ saves us from our trials. He forgives us. Heartache, I get the frustration, I get the hurt. I understand how bad it just really stinks. But know this, you don't have an an, an inherited faith you don't have a shallow faith. You don't have a conditional faith. Because I'm believing today that there's individuals who, who may be wavering, who may have been wavering, are deciding in your mind. Now, today, my firm foundation would be placed upon Jesus Christ. The trials that I'm going through are no match compared to what the trials we're going through that we've read through the scriptures. But they're still significant to you. I don't know who you are today and I don't know what type of trial you're going through. But I want to give you an encouragement to say this. Don't give in. Don't give in to those thoughts of negativity. Don't give in to those voices of doubt. Don't give in to the rejection. Don't give in to the people going, you're a waste, you're no good, you're good for nothing. Don't give in to any of that. Know who you are. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High King. You have worth. You are valuable. Before Christ made you, he had a plan for you. Do not allow yourself or anyone to stand in the way of what God has intended for your life. So I want you to stand with me. Here's what I'm going to do. And I, I, I believe, you know what? Maybe you're a person this morning who you're on the fence like I was that day. And you've contemplated maybe taking your life. Not while I'm here. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. You come to me first. Maybe you're a person today who you're going through a really strong difficulty, a, a big trial. You're not sure what to do. Maybe it's a little trial. I don't care the size of it. It's important to you. It's important to God. God. Maybe you're a person today who don't know who Jesus Christ is. You don't know what it's like to experience that forgiveness, that love, that compassion. Today you can. And today it's freely yours. But whatever it is, if that's you today in any capacity, if you are I'm, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but if you are going through a struggle and you want prayer, I want to pray with you. A lot of times I ask you to come down and I let you guys do your prayer and I stand back and we do a time of worship. I want to specifically pray for your need this morning. I don't care if I'm here until three (laughs) o'clock. I don't care if I miss the Super Bowl for you, all right? I want to make sure everyone who wants prayer gets prayer. But if that's you this morning, I'm inviting you to step out where you're at and to come down to this front because I believe that God still answers prayer. I believe that God takes the impossible, makes it possible. I believe that God takes the discouraged and encourages I believe that God takes the down and lowly and lifts them up. God is not done. Your best days are what? Still ahead of you. So, Brad, you're going going to sing something, all right? Y'all are going to sing too? Or you can come around these who have come up here for prayer. I'm going to pray with you.